Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, we welcome back Dr. Bob Sanders as he'll continue his fascinating look into Christ as seen in the tabernacle. Whatever the topic, these outstanding programs are here each day on the radio, on our mobile app, and on the daily podcast to inform and encourage your faith. So thank you for being here. Our largest conference of the year is almost upon us, the huge three-day conference in Columbus, Ohio, October 26th through the 28th. Over a dozen speakers, including our special keynote speaker, Jonathan Kahn. Registration is open. Call 1-800-652-1144 and reserve your spot. Seats are filling up, so don't miss your opportunity to hear Jonathan Kahn live in person. Visit the events page of our website, swrc.com. We want to see you at this conference. A complete lineup of the speakers, the topics, and schedules are all found at swrc.com. Simply click on Events, or you can just give us a call, 1-800-652-1144. Here's today's host, Staff Evangelist Josh Davis. I'm privileged to be joined again in the studio with Evangelist Bob Sanders. We're going to pick up the tour that we took yesterday through the tabernacle and seeing our Lord Jesus Christ typified through the tabernacle We just scratched the service yesterday, and by the way, there's a lot more information included in the book. We simply do not have the time to walk through it all on these two days' worth of programs, so we encourage you to pick up a copy of this book. It's a great addition to your personal library. It'll help you to see our Lord Jesus Christ as typified in the tabernacle in such a beautiful and excellent way. And Brother Bob, we're just delighted to have you back on Watchmen on the Wall. Thank you for joining us for another day. Thank you, my dear brother. I'm I'm looking forward to our time together. Well, yesterday we spoke about some of the structure of the tabernacle and how it was set up in the camp. We talked about the brazen altar as we were concluding our time together yesterday. Let's continue our tour. After you leave the brazen altar, they would come to the laver. What are the pictures of Christ in this? What is this piece of furniture in the tabernacle? And how do we see Jesus Christ in it? We all want to remember, uh, Josh, that as we pointed out yesterday, that the, the idea of the tabernacle, the physical and the prophetic aspect of the tabernacle, is to be seen in the fact that, that this is the way God deals with sin. Then the physical aspect in that day and that hour, that's the way that they dealt with their present sin, even though it was being held at that time until the perfect sacrifice could come. But at the same time, it is a prophetic view in how that ultimately the Lamb of God, where John the Baptist lifted up, and as he saw Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, he said to his disciples, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. Mm -hmm. And thank God he did come, and he did die for us and take away that sin. And so when we saw yesterday, the worshiper has made his way in, and he is now, as he is in there, the first thing that he meets is that altar that's there that pictures the sacrifice that's necessary. Now, one thing we didn't mention that I love is that when someone would come through and they would come through that gate, and in other words, they would have to pull it aside, step through it, 
And then when they would turn loose, the gate would go back. We pointed out that yesterday that that white linen fence represented the righteousness of God. On the outside, it said no approaching. In other words, it talked of his righteousness. But the glorious truth now is that once you're on the inside, the same righteousness that kept you at a distance now completely encompasses you. Mm. Everywhere you look now, you're surrounded by the righteousness of God. But how did that occur? It occurred because there was a perfect sacrifice on the brazen altar. Mm. And thank God that's the first area. In other words, the price of sin, the demand of sin, must be answered before we can move forward. Mm -hmm. But thank God, once that's taken care of, as we begin to move away from the brazen altar, we come to what you call the laver. In other words, there in that courtyard between the brazen altar and the tabernacle proper itself, there was a laver. What is the need for? Why would we need a laver? Well, what we have to remember is that in the tabernacle, there were no windows, there were no chairs, and there were no floors. These priests, as they ministered, they moved around. They were in touch, in contact with the earth. They were doing their work on the altar. Therefore, they had daily contamination in their life. But in order to get into the holy place or the holy of holies, they had to be clean. And thank God, God made a provision to satisfy that means of cleansing so that they could enjoy communion and consecration with God. They could go over and here's this labor. It's a, a, a labor. There's no dimensions necessarily for the size of it. But there it is in that courtyard there to give a opportunity for the police to daily cleanse himself. Yes. And it's a powerful picture of once we're in Christ, then we know that we still wrestle with the flesh. I think about Paul in Romans chapter 7, who famously said there that to the good I want to do, I don't do, and the evil I realize is still present with me, that internal struggle that we have between the flesh and the spirit. And that is such a beautiful picture there in the labor. And as we come into the tabernacle proper, as we continue this tour of the tabernacle, can you describe what is the tabernacle proper and some of the types of Christ that we see in it? Well, when we, we come to the tabernacle proper, it is a basic structure that is there, and it is on the west end of the courtyard itself. What we need to remember is that as we move, eternal condemnation has been taken care of mm -hmm. at the altar. But thank God, as we move forward, there is communion and fellowship with God there in that holy place in the Holy of Holies. And when we get there, the uh, tabernacle proper was, was 30 cubits in length, 10 cubits in width, and 10 cubits in height. As you would be looking from the outside, that would be the outside basic dimensions. The tabernacle proper itself was divided into two compartments. The holy place was 20 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. But then there was the holy of holies, which was a perfect cube. And it was 10 cubits by 10 cubits by 10 cubits. And as you would, you would approach it, there would be uh, there on three sides. When you would look, it would have an east side, north side, south side, west side. On the east side, there was just the basic curtain. 
But when you would enter in on the other three sides, there would be boards of shittim wood that would be would be overlaid by pure gold, and they were held together by rings and rods. They were hung there in that tabernacle proper. As I said, on the east side would be hangings. But here, like as in the courtyard, there must be a way to enter. And on that east side would be a gate, and it was 20 cubits by 5 cubits, and it was the way into the holy place. It was had uh, an entrance that was to go in. It was a way to enter in. Now, now, there's something of interest that we need to point out here. This entrance into the holy place is going to be 20 cubits by 10 cubits, mm-hmm. whereby the gate that we were to enter into the courtyard was of a different structure, a different size, and it was 10 by 10. But what is interesting is they're the same specific area in both of them. Hmm. 20 by 10, I mean, excuse me, 20 by 5, and 10 by 10 is 100 square cubits. The same Christ that you entered into for salvation is the same Christ that you must enter into to enjoy communication and fellowship and enjoying intimacy with the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Amen. And that's such a powerful picture. And we see as we're continuing this journey. So as the priest would enter into the holy place of the tabernacle, he would encounter several different objects, the first of which would be the candlestick, or sometimes referred to as the menorah, which would be on the south side of the tabernacle. Can you tell us some of the significance of this piece? When they had entered in to the, the holy place, as you said, by the means of entrance, which would ultimately uh, end up being, as you said, the south side or on the left side when he entered into that holy place, you would immediately meet this candlestick. Remember a few moments ago, I said that, that there were some things that were not present in the tabernacle. In addition to no floors, there were no, no windows. Therefore, when you entered into this holy place and the door was shut, closed in, had it not been for this candlestick, there would have been an immediate darkness that was there. But thank God the Lord realized that, Mm -hmm. and he put this candlestick there. As the uh, worshiper is moving forward, he's been dwelling in natural light. But thank God when he gets into the holy place, he's not dwelling in the natural light. He's dwelling in a light that is being given forth out of this candlestick on the left side, and therefore he's not walking in darkness, but he's walking in light. He's a picture of our Lord in one respect. James put it this way, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, listen to this, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Mm. In other words, this pictures the light that we have in Christ, also can picture the light that we have in the Word of God. It pictures for us the illumination that we as believers need in our relationship with God as we live and serve and walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the light was supposed to never go out. It was supposed to be continually burning. Is that correct? Never, never, never. Matter of fact, uh, one of the sins that there when uh, we read about Eli and his boys and their neglect and their sin and their apathy toward the, the things of God, 
uh, it brings out, you'll read a phrase, ere the lamp of the Lord went out, the danger. It was to be a continual light. And you know, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because the glorious truth is, thank God, in God, He is, the Bible teaches us that God is in a light. And in him is no darkness at all. Mm -hmm. Thank God for the child of God. If we want light, we can have an eternal, continual presence of God to illuminate and give us light on the areas of our life. Yes. So as the priest moves on this journey into the tabernacle proper, we're inside the holy place. On the northern side, there would be the table of showbread. What is this table and what's the picture and the typology that we see here? When we've made our way in, we now have the light of the candlestick that is now illuminating the entire area of the of the holy place. Uh, on the extreme right-hand side, or, or as you pointed out on the north side, there would be this small table. Uh, is constructed unlike the candlestick, which is one solid piece of gold. The candlestick was to be beaten out of a solid piece of gold. And we assume it's somewhere around six foot tall. We're not really given any specific dimensions that are there. But as it gives light, it begins to show us a small table on that right-hand side. It is built of shittim wood overlaid with pure gold. It pictures for us the divinity and also the humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a real large article of furniture. The truth of the matter is it's only about two cubits long, one cubit in width, and about a cubit and a half tall. It had uh, on it, it had uh, four rings, and there was some staves that were to go through it that it could be carried. On the top of the table of showbread, there would be two crowns. The thought is the reason for the two crowns is one is a crown to show the grief that the Lord went through to purchase our salvation, but at the same time, because he has arose again, victorious over death, hell, and the grave, and he now is seated at the right hand of the Father, now we see that the crown of glory is seated upon his head. In other words, they're here. But as we look at this little table that is there, we would find that upon that table, there are two rows, six in each row, of 12 cakes of what is known as showbread. These cakes that are there are made of two-tenths deal of fine flour, but they're also sprinkled with frankincense. Uh, once again, they are a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, and that frankincense is to be a, a fragrance to remind us of the fragrance of the Lord Jesus Christ, every bit of it. One thing that's interesting about this, this particular article or this, this showbread that was there or that was made is that there was to be no leaven put in this showbread as it was to be baked or be brought forth. We know that any good Bible student knows that in the Word of God, leaven is a picture of sin. And therefore, this showbread, known also as face bread, a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, in His divine, perfect sacrifice for sin, there's no sin in Him, none whatsoever. Mm -hmm. And uh, another interesting thing is, as I made comment, that's known as showbread. Literally, is a picture where the altar outside the brazen altar is a picture of his death and how that we are saved. The showbread or shoebread or face bread is to be a picture of the living Christ that we are to feed upon. 
that is to nurture us and feed us as the children of God. And so when the priest, what he's doing now is he's now serving. And this bread was to be eaten as he is to serve to gain strength and be sufficient that he might be able to do his duties as one of God's servants. And that's for us. Thank God for the bread of life that that can give us strength and nourishment as we feed upon Christ for our daily life. Yes, amen. We want to get into the Holy of Holies and to discuss these very important parts of the tabernacle structure. Only the high priest could enter into the Holy of Holies, and he could only enter into that one day a year on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. And as he goes inside the Holy of Holies, he encounters the Ark of the Covenant. What's some of the powerful truths associated with this Ark of the Covenant? Well, Brother Josh, as the worshiper had entered in and he's there in the holy place, as you saw or we talked about, there are candlestick, there's the table of showbread, there's also the altar of incense that is there, a picture of worship, a picture of prayer. But thank God there is the opportunity to go further. Mm -hmm. And the Holy of Holies, literally, what it is is, It is the dwelling place of God. It is where God dwells between the cherubims. Once a year, the the high priest had the opportunity to go in and there uh, with blood to bring it into that holy place. And when he got there, as you said, there would be right before him the Ark of the Covenant. When he went in that once a year, he came with blood. He would be met with the Ark. And when he looked at it, there were really two parts or whatever, two separate items, but they appeared as one. There was the Ark of the Covenant, and there was also the mercy seat. Now, the Ark was basically about two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half in width, and a cubit and a half in in height. Now, it was like the table of showbread. It was made of shittim wood, but also it was overlaid with pure gold, And as the table of showbread, he had two rings on it with two staffs. Now, the importance of the ark is, is in the economy of God, it's mentioned the very first thing. In other words, we pointed out that when God gave the details on the the making of the tabernacle, he started inwardly and worked outwardly. Mm -hmm. But yet when the worshiper approached, he must start outwardly and work inwardly. Mm -hmm. This is the most significant article of furniture in the entire ark as itself, because it points out the dwelling place of God. But here in this particular ark, there are three items that are there. There is the the tablets of, of stone, which is the law. There is Aaron rod that budded. And there is the, the pot of manna that is there in that particular ark that is there. They're, they're there and they're held as a memorial they're always in that particular ark. We don't want to miss seeing the mercy seat. It's such a powerful picture of Christ. Can you tell us what is the importance of the mercy seat? As we pointed out, when the worshiper would look, it would almost appear that there were two, one significant piece of furniture, but in reality, there's two. There's the Ark of the Covenant, and as you see it on the, on the top of that ark, on the top of that box, was the mercy seat. And it was made out of one solid piece of gold that was there. And on top of that ark would be two cherubims facing each other. And their wings were brought together 
touching each other upon that mercy seat. They're there because as cherubims, they are, they are the messengers of God's judgment. They are the guardians of God's holiness. If you want to learn a little bit about them, they were similar to those that, were, that God placed there in the garden to keep Adam from returning back into the garden. And they're there to picture the guardians of the holiness of God willing to strike judgment to anyone that would approach. But the glorious news is that there upon that mercy seat once a year, the purpose of the high priest was to enter in and to place the blood upon the mercy seat. Think about this glorious truth. There in the very presence of God, there where judgment could come, where God could look straight down upon the law that demanded the death of every sinner, there's the blood to impede or to satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God. Thank God that 2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ died for our sins, took His blood, offered up upon the mercy seat in heaven, and now today we have open access all because we no longer fear the wrath of God, but we enjoy the mercies and the grace of God because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ has been applied to the mercy seat in heaven. And that's such a powerful picture. And Brother Bob, thank you for joining us on Watchmen on the Wall. Thank you, my dear brother. Dr. Bob Sanders' complete two-day look at Christ as seen in the tabernacle is available on CD. Order copies for you, your family, or your church. 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Christ as seen in the tabernacle is in today's resource spotlight. In Christ, we not only have forgiveness from God, but now we have access to fellowship with God, all through Christ's death on the cross. In this study, the New Testament truth will be unveiled in the Old Testament type, the tabernacle. Christ as Seen in the Tabernacle by Dr. Bob Sanders is available today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online swrc.com. Christ as Seen in the Tabernacle is an excellent book for Sunday school, small group Bible studies, homeschoolers. There's just so many places that this book fits in. So order Christ Has Seen in the Tabernacle when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Time to get answers to important Bible questions. That means it's time to ask Pastor Larry. What is friendship evangelism and is it really evangelism? Friendship evangelism says we need to establish a relationship with an unsaved person before we share the gospel. It is based on the realization that, quote, people don't care how much you know unless they know how much you care. Friendship evangelism is sometimes called lifestyle evangelism. It involves maintaining a consistent Christian testimony before others. They see what it means to be a real Christian and desire to live that kind of a life. Friendship evangelism is based on the fact that people are really relational. Meaningful communication happens in the form of a dialogue rather than a monologue. Studies show that people come to visit a church for the first time 
because a friend has invited them. Pastors, of course, invite people to church. But quite often people think, well, he's paid to do that. One friend invites another friend and says, we'll come by and pick you up at 9.30 and bring you to church. That's an invitation that quite often works. So, is friendship evangelism a good thing? What I have described above is good, but it is really not evangelism. A better term for it would be pre-evangelism. Friendship evangelism is like tilling a garden before you plant seed in the garden. Before you do the planting, you have to prepare the soil. Gardeners often use a tiller to break up the ground and turn the soil over, and they often do the tilling in the fall. When winter comes, the clods of dirt freeze and are broken up. Then, in the spring, the gardener tills the land again. However, tilling the soil is not planting the seed, just like making friends is not evangelism. The seed, the Word of God, must be planted. You and I could make a hundred new friends, but that is not planting the seed. In the same way, we could till ten acres of land, but that is not planting ten acres of land. In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Jesus did not say, go and make friends of all nations, but rather, go and make disciples of all nations. A disciple is a learner and a follower. Romans 1.16 tells us about the Apostle Paul, and he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now, it does not say... The gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who is a friend. Please bear in mind, I'm not dismissing the importance of being a friend, but that is just the beginning. It is pre-evangelism. Sometimes we don't bring up spiritual issues because we might lose the person. A good way to bring up the gospel in a non-threatening way is to give your own testimony. A lot of people will listen, though some will say, I'm really glad that works for you. I'm glad you are happy and found something meaningful, but I don't think it will work for me. So kindly ask them, what are you doing to have peace with God? That could get you into some great discussion and time of sharing. It's a great, great way to share Christ. And let's face it, that is all you need to do. You should not be trying to be clever, intellectual, have an answer to every question. You're trying to share Jesus Christ. Remember, it is the gospel that is the power of God. They need to hear the gospel. Christ as Seen in the Tabernacle by Dr. Bob Sanders is available today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Order Christ as Seen in the Tabernacle today. This book is perfect for Sunday schools, small group Bible studies, and homeschoolers. There are just so many places that this book fits in. Ask how you can receive free shipping when you call 1-800-652-1144. Tomorrow, we open up the radio vault for a look at some of the past influences on today's church. 
Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by downloading our SWRC mobile app or by simply subscribing to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and has been supported for over 90 years by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.